So far in this study of who we are in Christ here in Ephesians, we have learned that in Christ we are heirs. Heirs to eternal life that God prepared for us before the foundation of the world. We have learned that in Christ we are alive. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but God made us alive in Christ. In Christ we are one. In Christ we are empowered. In Christ we are unified. In Christ we are changed in our attitude and treatment of others. And we are changed in our daily conduct of life. Today, as we begin in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21, we're going to learn how we are changed in our relationships. And we will see this in three different ways. Uh, first of all, in, as husbands and wives, secondly, as children and parents, and thirdly, as slaves and masters. And uh, when we get to that, we will be looking, we'll kind of turn that around a little bit and talk about employers and employees since in our world we don't in our country right now we don't have slaves and masters but it's kind of the same thing isn't it <laughs> in some cases this is true I'm going to take a few minutes to uh, kind of set this up for you today and it's important that I do so and let's begin by going to the Father in prayer Heavenly Father, we come to you today to study a passage that is sometimes uh, misused and abused, and, and uh, I pray that you will help us as we look at this today, Father, to understand what you're showing us and to apply it in our lives. Father, we ask you to speak to us today as we study your word, and we ask it in Christ's name, amen. I wish I had a uh, video to show you what I witnessed one day a few years ago when I was in a store in New York where I was living at the time. I'm going to try to describe this situation to you. I wish you could see it in a video because it would be have such a so much more impact, I think. Nevertheless, I want to tell you what I observed. I'm in this store and there was a family family of three. The wife looked to be maybe in her mid to late 20s. The husband looked a little older than her. The child, the little boy, looked like he might have been six or seven years old. I initially noticed them not because I saw them, but because I heard them. More precisely, I heard the husband. They were in the next aisle over. And the man sounded angry. He was loud and he was being verbally abusive to someone. At this point I could only hear them and he called out and called someone a stupid bee. I heard what sounded like a female voice say something which wasn't much more than a whimper and immediately the man told her to shut up. It was about this time that I came to the end of the aisle and about the same time they came to the end of the aisle on the other side. The man yelled at the little boy, Get over here. 
grabbed his arm and yanked him. It was at this moment that I saw their faces. The little boy looked terrified. And the woman looked dazed, cowered, almost like she was a non-person. And I saw the look in the man's eyes. I'll never forget it. It was a look of superiority. This morning we're going to address a passage of Scripture which has been used by some Christians to justify what I just described. To be sure, what I witnessed in the store was extreme. And most Christians would denounce it. Still, it exemplified how this passage has been misused, sometimes even to that extreme. Now, I have no way of knowing if that uh, if the family, if they were Christian or not. But I do know there are people who consider themselves to be Christian, who believe that God has established a hierarchy which sets the man up to be the iron-fisted king of the family and the rest of the family his subjects. And they use this passage we're going to address this morning as the proof text. I hope, however, we will come to understand what God is really teaching here. So two things you're going to need to do. Number one, you're going to need to put on your thinking caps as we go through this. And the second thing you need to understand is that there's no way in this brief message this morning that uh, we'll be able to answer every possible question that could come from this passage. But I think we'll answer a lot of questions. So let's get started. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as the Lord, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and will become united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love your wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. First thing we need to do is get the big picture. I don't know if you've ever heard the old illustration about the four blind men who were asked to describe an elephant. One of the blind men gets hold of the elephant's tail. 
And he says, the elephant is like a rope. Another blind man grabbed the elephant around the leg and he said, the elephant is like a tree. Another blind man grabbed the elephant by the ear and he said, the elephant is like a giant fan. Another one grabbed the elephant's trunk and he said, the elephant is like a hose. One of the ways we get in in trouble understanding scripture by failing to take in the big picture. And instead, we focus on a verse or a passage as if it existed outside the rest of everything that was written. It's like the blind man who grabs a part of it and thinks he's seeing the whole. This passage does not exist by itself. It is in a context. It is a part of a larger message. And in fact, is offered as an illustration of the larger message. So then, what is the larger context? Let's get a a look at the big picture. First of all, the context of this passage is the letter of of Ephesians. The whole letter. Now today, we have the Bible divided into chapters and verses. But when, when Paul wrote the letter, it was a letter just like you and I might write. Chapters weren't added until about the 13th century. Verses weren't added until about the 16th century. And all of that was done in order to try to help people find their way around uh, in the Bible. But Paul wrote it as a letter, as a whole. And unlike a letter that you and I might write, It's not a collection of random thoughts. Now, I just wrote a letter to my brother, sent him an email, and it was a collection of random thoughts. It was a letter, but I would type a little bit, and then I'd think of something else I wanted to talk about, and I would go to another paragraph, and I would talk about something else. And then I'd finish that, and I'd think, oh, I want to tell him this, and then I'd talk about something completely different. It was all disjointed. It was a letter, but it was random. Paul doesn't write a random letter. He writes a message. A message that's for that church and for the church through the centuries. It's not random thoughts. He wrote with a purpose. It was a letter, yes, but it was also a message. A message for the church, for the Christians through the centuries. It is a message for us today. And God wants us to hear it. And He wants us to live by it. So what is the context? What has this letter been about? that we've been reading so far. Let's just review. Now, I'm not going to cite every single verse, but the following comes straight from what Paul said, starting in what we call chapter 1. Paul begins by reminding us that we are in Christ. And in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing We are chosen in Christ. We are adopted in Christ. 
We are redeemed in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. We are shown God's will in Christ. We are made alive in Christ, even though we were dead in our sins. We were seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. We were given grace in Christ. We were shown God's kindness in Christ. We were created for good works in Christ. And though we were once far away, we were brought near in Christ. We are one in Christ. We may approach God with freedom and confidence in Christ. We are unified as one body in Christ. And we are rooted and established in love in Christ. And then in chapter 4, Paul begins what I call the so then part of his letter. So then... Since you have all of this in Christ, Paul writes in verse 1 of that chapter, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Since you have all of this in Christ, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And from there right up through where we are today, Paul tells the Ephesian Christians and us, how we are to live a life worthy of our calling. And he has said, as we have studied so far, this is how you do it. Be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, keep unity in a bond of peace, mature in Christ, speak truth to one another, Put off the old self that was corrupted by deceitful desires. Put on the new self that was created to be like God. And that is a key point. Build others up. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Another key point. Live as children of light and be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And then he comes to verse 21 of chapter 5. He's still talking about living a life worthy of your calling. He continues, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's still talking about how to live a life worthy of our calling. And there are key statements that he's made along the way here as he's been talking about this. And one of those is be imitators of God. If you're going to live a life worthy of your calling, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To be imitators of God, we must love as Jesus did. And how did he love? He loved by sacrificing himself for us. Jesus loved us by putting us above himself. Now that song we tried to play there at the beginning, above all, 
the chorus of that song. Crucified, laid behind the stone, you lived to die, rejected and alone. Like a rose, you were trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above all. So how do we do this? How do we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? In other words, we are to honor God by doing what Christ did for us. He put us above himself. Therefore, if we are going to love as he loved, we will put others above ourselves. If we're going to live a life worthy of the calling we have received in Christ, we are going to put others above ourselves. We're going to give ourselves up for others. That's what Jesus did. That's how he showed his love. When Paul says submit to one another, he is not talking about giving someone power over you. He's talking about putting someone else's needs above your own. Putting someone else's good above your own. This is how you imitate God. This is how you live a life of love. You imitate what God did in Christ, Jesus' love, by putting us above himself. So then we come to the passage that I talked about at the beginning of the message. The passage that's been taken out of context, taken out of the big picture, and used as if it existed all by itself, and used sometimes as a proof text for the man to be the king in the castle and the woman to be his lowly subject. Well, Paul has not started talking about something new. This is not like our letters where we just go from one random thing to another. He's still in the same story. What he does in the rest of this chapter, in the first half of the chapter 6, is to offer illustrations of how we are to imitate God by living a life of love just as Jesus did when he gave himself up for us. He said this is what we should do and then he gives us three illustrations of how this works in the real world. Submit to one another in order to honor God. Now let me say it one more time. Paul is not turning the page and starting a new subject. He is still talking about being changed, putting on the new self created to be like God. He is still talking about imitating God by living a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And now he offers three examples taken from real life to illustrate how we can be changed in our relationships. Examples of how we can love as Jesus loved by putting others above ourselves.
And the first example, and the only one we're going to look at today, is marriage. So Paul, first of all, addresses the wife. And again, here's what he says. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. So there you have it. Plain as day. The husband is the king and the wife is to be his obedient servant in everything. The husband is the head of the house, so whatever he says... That's the way it will be. End of story. That's exactly how many people read that. But that's lifting it out and looking at it without the context. I would submit to you that that is not the message. That is not the point being made here. Paul is not turned to a new subject. He's still talking about living a life of love by putting others above yourself. Just as Jesus did as he sacrificed himself for us. So, I'm sorry guys if I'm throwing cold water on your God complex. But when Paul says to the wife, submit to your husband as to the Lord, he is not equating you with Jesus. He's telling the wife her act of submitting honors Christ. Remember that previous sentence? Submit to one another out of reverence to honor Christ. But there's that word, submit. And as we, read, as we read the next sentence, it's so easy to infer an authority relationship. But this is not about authority. It's about love demonstrated in selflessness. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to one another and everything, as Christ is the head of the church. Now here's the picture we think we see. Here's Christ, and here's the church. We picture authority. Submit. We picture authority. But that's not the image that's presented here. The image Paul presents of the church is that the church is the body of Christ and that he is the head of the body. And as the head, he gives himself up for the the benefit, for the salvation of the body. It's not about authority It's about service. It's about sacrifice. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. 
It's not a picture of authority, authoritative hierarchy. It's not a picture of the husband being the king and the woman bowing down and kissing his feet. Sorry for the sar- sarcasm there, but it's a picture of love demonstrated in selflessness. It's a picture of each one putting the other above themselves. Paul continues, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Well, how does the church submit to Christ? If there's anything we should understand by now in our study, it would be that submitting to Christ has nothing to do with keeping rules and laws. It has to do with love. We are to imitate God by loving as Christ loved. The church submits to Christ by living a life of love. Love that is like the love of Christ who gave Himself up for us. He sacrificed Himself for us. He put us above Himself for our good. The wife who is submitting who is imitating God by living a life of love will selflessly put the good of her husband above herself. Love is not about selfishness. It is about selflessness for the sake of another. But there are two sides. Remember verse 21? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so Paul flips the coin, and here's the other side. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, the husband cannot make his wife holy and blameless. He can't. But Paul is using the example of Christ, who gave himself up for the good of the church, to illustrate that this is what the husband is to do. He is to be selfless and give himself up for the good of the wife. That is the submitting to one another. Why? To honor Christ. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. This is not about authority. This passage is not about authority. It's about love. Paul has not changed the subject. This is all you have been given in Christ. So then, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do you do that? He spends all this time talking about how we should do that. And then he gives us these three illustrations. 
It's about imitating God by living a life of love. And we do this by sacrificing ourselves for one another, just as Jesus did when he gave himself up to set us free from the debt of sin and death. Paul begins this message with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he ends by saying, Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's one another. It's mutual submission. It's mutually demonstrating the love of Christ toward one another by putting each other above yourself because that's what Jesus did for us. If we are going to imitate God, this is what we will do. We will love one another as Christ loved the church. Heavenly Father, we sometimes struggle in our understanding of your word and we're thankful for your mercy in that but I pray that you would help us to understand this morning the reality that considering all you've done for us that our rule now is to live a life worthy of that calling. And we do that by imitating you, by loving as Jesus loved. And just as he gave himself up for us, help us, Father, to understand that we are to give ourselves up for one another, that you might be honored and that we might be like you. Help us to do this, Father. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.